When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. Get a chair, grab a seat, or we'll sweep you off your feet. We move, we groove, you got mail. Ease your legs, rest a while, all you gotta do is smile. We're swell, can't you tell you got mail? <laughs> when the show begins, you better hold on real tight. Or before you know it, you'll be high as a kite. Take a break, settle down, we're the only show in town. That's our road, don't you know you got mail? Give it up, don't think twice, we're a hurricane on ice. What the hell, give a yell, ring your bell, show and tell. Mademoiselle, give a smell, you got Mel. You've got Mel. And Mel is so fortunate to have on the show Dr. Amy Morell. So, but let's start with your whole name. You have, you have so many names. I think, <laughs> I think there's a children's book here somewhere. Um, so there's Amy which yes. is, I guess, your, your, your first name. Yes. And then there's Rebecca. Yes. Yes. My middle name. Yes. Your middle name. And Epstein. My maiden name. Yes. And Morel. Yes. My married name. Yes. Oh, that was so simple. With a doctor in front because you're a PhD in psychology. Correct. Correct. Yeah. If, and where, where, where are you speaking from in the world? Memphis, Tennessee. I'm in the office in my home in Memphis. So it's eight o'clock in the morning? It is eight o'clock in the morning. Well, thank you for waking up so early. And and, uh, are you going into work today or are you working from the house? I'm working from the house. Yes. Um, I have not worked outside of my house since March. Wow. So... Yeah. So also psychological consulting over Zoom? Yes. And um, seeing patients over Zoom, teaching psychology classes over Zoom, um, lots and lots of meetings like this. It's so nice to meet you. It's Uh, very nice to meet you. You're a wonderful soul. Um, So let's start at the very beginning. Let's start with the baby Amy. Where did you come from? Um, well, I was born right here in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and um, my parents are both from Memphis. I lived most of my life in Memphis. I went to graduate school in Mississippi, not too far away, um, about an hour and a half away from Memphis. And I went to graduate school. Um, I mean, I went straight from graduate school, that's what I meant to say, uh, to a job as a professor in Texas and um, loved that, but was really feeling the need to be back home in Memphis, Tennessee. So about a year ago. Because of uh, Elvis Presley? (laughs) Yes, definitely because of Elvis Presley. Um, honestly, because, um, just Memphis really felt like home and Texas never quite felt like home. My parents are in their late seventies and thankfully still in good health. Um, but I wanted to spend time with them while they were still in good health. Um, I do not have biological children, but I had um, helped raise 
multiple children who actually refer to me as their mother um, because I played such a big role in their lives and they are getting married and having children and they're in Memphis and it just felt like it was time to come home. So almost exactly a year ago today, one week from now, it will be one year um, we came home. To one second. This is complicated. I need now to put on my hat, hat my mathematical hat. So yesterday, one week from tomorrow, you'll have been a year in Memphis. Correct. And you got a uh, you got a uh, position at a uh, at a leading university in Memphis. Yes, although I am not in a full time tenured um, line, which was by choice. Um, I'm teaching adjunct classes so that I could focus on writing and um, really giving that a go a bit more. Yeah. Okay, so like, so we have this in common that we had academic careers, but um, we have this in our heart, we have this dream to write stories for kids. Yes. So I'm gonna have to take you back now to your painful childhood. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, because you know my theory, I'm not a. I've heard your theory. Yeah, and you and uh, you think I'm right or wrong? Uh, I don't know that I agree. Okay. So one second, not that there's people that are joining us today that don't know the theory. Okay. And the theory is that those of us who write for children have some uh, unfinished business of our own as children. Uh, that we are actually writing to our own child to try and um, deal with the pain. And you think I'm wrong. And that's really bad because you're, you're a PhD in psychology. <laughs> I'm not. So this is like oy vey, everybody. Okay, so, so your early childhood, Amy. Um, the very, the very, I, I will say, I will say the very first book about my life that I actually did not write, one of my graduate students wrote, but about my life was about a very early childhood memory that was very painful and that shaped many of my experiences so much so that, you know, my graduate students knew about it. And that fits your theory. Okay, um, this? And it was a book called Too Little. Um, and, um, and it came from this experience of the end of my first week of kindergarten. Um, my kindergarten teacher said to the class, um, it's time to take your mats home, the mats that you sleep on, um, to be washed. Everybody pick up your mats to take them home, except for you, Amy, you're too little. We'll have to get your mom to come and get yours. And I was floored. I mean, just absolutely, I was shocked. I didn't know what that meant. Um, I learned in that moment, and this is absolutely, you know, true. I learned in that moment <laughs> that I was different in some way than other kids. And I still, I am four nine and, um, I don't weigh in the three digit numbers. <laughs> I'm, I'm tiny. Um, and when I was in kindergarten, I was very, very tiny. Like I wasn't on the growth charts at all. Um, but I didn't know that. Like um, my mom was also a mental health professional for children. She has a doctorate in counseling. Um, my father was um, very encouraging and positive and, now, all I ever knew was that, you know, if you want to do something, you can do it <laughs> until that moment. Um, and I was like, what the heck is too little? 
Um, but I knew that it was bad. And from that moment on, too little as a phrase definitely pushed me around in my life and in all sorts of ways. So this book, which I wish I had with me, and I don't. Um, we can put a link to it below the interview. Um, yeah, we get to do that. Um, my along, along with your books. Yes, that would be great. Um, my graduate student presented to me on the day that I hooded her with her doctorate. And what it is, is it starts off by saying, um, Amy loved to spin around. Amy loved to draw. Amy loved to eat chocolate cupcakes with frosting. And Amy was so excited to go to school. Um, and then something happened. Teacher said, okay, class, pick up your mats, except for you, Amy, because you're too little. And Amy thought, what's too little? But she pushed and pulled and tried some more and she realized the mat was rather big. Um, and then she went home and her mother said, how was your day? And Amy said, fine, I liked it. But she wasn't really fine because too little was there. And there's this picture of this like monster looking thing behind Amy. And it says, and too little was there when she spun around. When all the things that, you know, it said Amy liked to do. When she ate chocolate cupcakes with frosting. And there's this monster over now. Um, and it talks about all these ways that I, in my real life, did try to deal with too little. Like, look what I can do. And it shows me, like, walking across the stage, getting a PhD. Um, shows me being like this competitive gymnast winning all of these like 10, 10, 10. Um, so I would definitely agree that there was like this defining moment in my childhood. Yeah, everything you've said up until now just supports my theory. I get it. I get it. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and this book that my student wrote based on things that I had told her um, is like a classic example of, of a picture book illustrating how that happened in my life. Um, but it's interesting because my student wrote it. I didn't write it. Um, everything that I have written since then, I think has come out of me sort of having grown from that place and, it, and attempting to reach back into it to help kids who haven't grown from that place. You know, someday maybe you'll have a show and then I'll be able to tell you what happened to me when I was five. But you know, the more we're talking and my heart goes out to this five-year-old uh, Amy. And uh, I think that we, we all have these kindergarten moments, at yeah. least the, the sensitive ones. Yes, yeah. And, and then, um, well, so, uh, you know, <clears throat> I rest my case, dear. Um, so, you know, I don't think that four foot nine is little. Uh, it might be petite, but it's not little. And, uh, and you know, you look like a darling. I just want to reach out and, and grab mm -hmm. you here from, from Ramat Gan. Mm -hmm. um, and who knows, maybe someday we will meet at an SCBWI meeting. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that tall. I'm 5'8". I'm probably 5'6 now. <laughs> uh, who, who measured my height in the last 40 years? Right. Um, yeah. So, so, um, so beyond this, uh, you, ex you excelled at, at gymnastics. Yes. You were, you were probably um, very good at school. Yes. You went on to do your PhD in child psychology. Yes. And then you became an expert in this ACT thing. Yes. Would you like to spend a minute or two explaining what this ACT thing is? You don't have to. Sure. It's um, basically... Um, 
act is easily summed up by saying that the acceptance and acceptance and commitment therapy is about recognizing the difference between things that you can readily change in your life and things that you cannot and working to accept the things that cannot be readily changed. And from an acceptance and commitment therapy perspective, we typically think about thoughts and feelings as things that cannot be readily changed, which is pretty different from other traditional psychotherapies. Um, So I don't really work with my clients or patients on changing their thoughts or feelings. I work with them on changing the way that they relate to their thoughts and feelings, but I don't work with them on changing the content of their thoughts and feelings themselves. And then the commitment part is commitment to behavior change based on values or things that are meaningful and important to you basically regardless of what you're thinking and feeling, what your external circumstances are that you can't change. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to wrap this around my, uh, my head. So like uh, for, a little, for a little kid, yeah. um, they might be living in a home where their parents argue a lot but there wouldn't be like enough violence or something like that for them to be removed from the home. But they obviously can't change their parents arguing. That would be something for them to accept. It would be something for them to accept that um, that makes them afraid. But what we would work on is not letting the fear that they have control their lives so that they could still do things that matter to them, like telling an adult who is a safe adult um, when they are afraid Mm -hmm. and making a plan to help regulate their own emotions, like taking deep breaths Mm -hmm. or imagining um, peaceful scenes or doing progressive muscle relaxation when the scary things that are going on in their home is going on rather than just checking out and avoiding their own thoughts and feelings. So rather than exorcise these thoughts, it's a matter of just kind of going with the flow and then saying, okay, what do I do now? Correct. So accepting that there are some things that you cannot change, but rather than avoiding those things, which we know from scientific research makes them worse, um, saying, I cannot control these things, but I can control the way that I react to them. Suppressing and avoiding and attempting to control makes them worse, but I can control my own behavior and response to them. Here are the things that I can do that matter to me to protect myself, to focus on things that I care about. Maybe I can go to a friend's house where I do feel safe, that kind of thing. Or maybe I can grow a garden. Maybe I can grow a garden. Okay, so uh, let's talk about your new book. What's happening with your new book? You sent me some PDFs, it looks remarkable. Thank you. Where is it going? Um, So it is the sixth book in a series, the Becca Epps series. And speaking of names, um, Becca Epps comes directly from those two middle names in my name. (laughs) If you think about Amy Rebecca Epstein Morell, Becca Epps is right there. So now we have six names to remember. Okay. (laughs) Um, I, I have to say, I'm not a psychologist, but I think you're, you're compensating here. You know, I say, okay, maybe I'm short, but I'm going to have the longest name in the Western Hemisphere. (laughs) Maybe Maybe so. Maybe I should be a psychologist. Keep going. So, Becca, (laughs) where 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 do we find Becca Epps? Is the sixth in a 
in this series called the, um, I mean, the Becca Grows a Garden is the sixth in the Becca Epps series on uh, bending your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And all six are being published by Shawnee Scientific Press. Um, the first three are already for sale at shawneescientific.com. Um, and the remaining three are all set to come out within the next year and a half. I honestly don't know the exact dates. Wait, so what, wish what, I did. What is this? What is this publisher, Shawnee Scientific? Where we should have this whole program all about the names. Shawnee Scientific <laughs> Press. Yes. What kind of publishing house is that? It's a it's a psychoeducational press. Um, so they publish all books about psychology and education. I have no idea where they got their name, but. Well, because, you know, psychologists want to think that they're scientists. So that's probably. <laughs> it's, it, I, we, we should have done some ACT on them and say, you know what? You're a psychologist. You're not a scientist. And that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> it's a social science. Well, yeah. Okay. But you see, as okay, so. I would take all the social scientists in the world and run them through your program uh, because I think that it's okay not to be a scientist. It's even better. I was a scientist for, I don't know, 40 years, and now I'm not. And I'm prouder of myself not being a scientist. Hmm. And when I'm on your show, I'll tell you why, but not right now. Um, so this is so this is a psychological publishing house. Correct. It's publishing your books for kids, which are yes. children's books, which is yes. remarkable. And uh, do you have do you have any PDF that you can show people of your new book? Some picture in your hand? No. Um, I don't have the newest one in my in my and hand. I've got some other ones. Yeah, just show one. This, Amy, you have to you have to market yourself. You have to come prepared. You know. I um, well, here's here's the one just before that one. Okay. It's called "What Matters Most." And what? Matters and most? it is a book about values. So I just said behavioral commitment to the things that matter to you. So this one is "What Matters Most," and um, it is set in. Memphis, Tennessee, because that's one of the things, one, it's a place that matters most to me. This is Becca and her cousin, Lissa. And this, I'll just, it says Becca Epps lives in a big city by a big river with limestone bluffs. Don't tell anyone. Sculptures and statues can hear me, she whispers to her cousin. They listen to what I say. And then her cousin says, you and your crazy imagination. Let's just get this tour over with. And then in the book, they go on a tour of Memphis. And as you go on a tour throughout the city, discover all the things that are important to Becca. Um, they go to a nature center and you learn that animals are important to Becca. Um, and then they go to the civil rights museum where she thinks that the statue of Rosa Parks is speaking to her. Um, and they go to Beale Street and listen to music. And they talk about how music unites people with different backgrounds. Where's I want show me the page on Graceland. There's no Graceland picture. Okay. So here's the thing. Everything Elvis Presley is very highly trademarked. Ah. <laughs> so we, we had to think of maybe Grapeland or something. <laughs> I looked right. into it. I looked into it. And um the Elvis Presley Foundation said, no, no, no. 
Whereas like the Civil Rights Museum was like, we think this is a great idea for children. That is wonderful. Do that. I think I think that you are amazing. Because first of all, you know, you're going against the flow. You know, you're writing books that um, I teach my students not to write, which are books that are didactic and have, you know, heavy uh, uh, moralistic messages. Yeah. Yeah. But you're doing it so damn well. I may have to change my thinking because the, the new book you sent me is, is terrific. One second, but before that, let's go back to the number five, which I haven't seen. So um, the girl, so if, if there were a girl who came to you and say says, Amy, I speak to statues, right? Yeah. You, you wouldn't medicate her. You would say, okay, what do they tell you? Probably. I mean, and especially if she's like, like this character is supposed to be like, you know, picture book age. Yeah, you know, like that. Maybe at the end of the story. Yeah, I love it. But, but at the end of the story, do the statues really talk? No. And here's the thing. Actually, here's the thing. So, all right. So, this is this is what happens when I when I come unprepared because I haven't seen this book. You see. Okay. So here's the thing. Like she says. Well, and I should have told you this. She shakes the hand of one of the property's many scarecrows. Nice to see you again. Are you keeping up the rain garden? In that moment, which is a thing that repeats throughout the book, in that moment, a wind gust knocks water from the scarecrow's watering hand. See, Lissa, I told you. So she thinks the scarecrow is responding to her, but it's really the wind. In the museum, she's talking to Rosa Parks when the loudspeaker from the museum comes on playing a you know, canned message. And she like nudges her cousin, like, look what I did, you know? And the cousin's like, coincidence. One second, so let's take a break here. You have a Jewish name. Yes. Okay, why do you have a Jewish name? Because I'm a Jew. Okay, good. <laughs> so so in Judaism, there's this thing called bashert, you know. Uh, yes. Things that are, are meant to be. Yes. I don't, know where, I don't know whether you're religious or not. I am. But this is, this is exactly, you know, the world is in some particular way because there's some divine entity. That's a somehow organized it. Mm-hmm. So I and I think that that's that's really amazing. And your your and, and a few words about your new story, which I have read. The garden, like builds a garden. Yeah. Um. So the idea in Becca builds a garden. Let me let me say this first. Um, I knew that these books were more didactic than traditional picture books. I mean, I've I've been studying how to write picture books now for seven years or so. Um, I've been to lots of workshops and seminars and I've taken online classes. And, um, I try to make them still entertaining and fun and not too preachy. Um, you know, like it's still kind of, I think, a fun story in there, like how there's this back and forth between Becca and her cousin in this one, um, like where she's, you know, she says she talks to statues and they listen to her, but really it's just like the wind blows and the museum speaker comes on and, and her cousin's like, you know, and so like if a kid came to me like clinically I would ask like things to determine, could it be coincidence? And also throughout here, we're learning what matters to her. The reason that Becca buys into this stuff um, is because it's what she values. She wants to buy into the fact that Rosa Parks is talking to her because like standing up for people who can't stand up for themselves matters to her. 
She wants to believe that the wind gust knocks over the scarecrow's can because the scarecrow, you know, cares about the environment because caring about the environment matters to her. So like, yeah, clinically, I would explore that stuff because that's more likely than a kid being psychotic. So first of all, there's that. Um, and so I'm okay with these being a little didactic for that reason. Like if this is gonna help kids um, in therapy, mm -hmm. or if this is gonna help teachers in a classroom make the distinction between kids being crazy or not crazy, then I'm okay with it being a little teachy. Um, now back to Becca builds a garden. <laughs> Becca builds a garden. Okay, okay. So, okay. Like you're dealing, I, I, so I'm, you know, very often I interview amazing people like you. And after the interview, I say, oh my goodness, you know, I, I have to change the way I'm, I'm thinking about the world. And, and I think that you're one of these people. I do hope we stay in touch because um, your, your message is really, really, really important because we all have superstitions uh, and some of us are religious. And of course, you can't prove that God exists. Right. So one person's religion is another person's psychosis. Right. Now you should excuse me for that, but it is. No, yeah, sure. Um, and I think it's wonderful. And you say, okay, it doesn't matter. You know, if, if, if you think that, um, um, I don't know, if you think that scarecrows talk to you, well, who am I to say no? Um, and there's a famous story um, there's even a, a psychological thing called Martha Mitchell syndrome, which I have to tell you about because it's so important to me. Uh, Martha Mitchell was the, was the wife of the, um, of a minister in Nixon's government. And she used to tell her friends, you know, you can't believe what goes on in the White House at night. People come and go at midnight with millions of dollars in, 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 in cash. And they, of course, thought that she's, you know, she's Michigan. Yeah. She's like talking to the scarecrows like your hero. Right. They found out about Watergate that people were actually walking in and out of the White House right. bags with right. dollars. So there's right. something called the Martha Mitchell syndrome. Wow. You should look it up. A yeah, people, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, a people that think that someone else is psychotic when actually they're actually telling the truth. Right. <laughs> it's completely unbelievable. So, so this is wonderful. Tell us about your new book. Okay. So in Becca Builds a Garden, um, the, the book starts off with um, Becca and her grandmother, her bubby, um, sitting at their table. And bubby is saying that she's going to go work in the community garden. Again, here's this reflection of um, values and commitment to do something related to values, something that's important or that matters most. Um, I have all the other books here too, just not the last one. Um, Which is the only one I read. <laughs> um, I just. I'm going to read them all now. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, saying that, you know, this is important to me to have a sense of community, to have a sense of protecting the environment. I'm going to go work in this garden. And she's going to do it with um, Tommy's abuela. And Becca says, why, why don't kids have plots in the community garden? I want to do that too. And um, Bubby says, if you can figure out how to raise the money that it takes then I'll make sure to advocate for you. I mean, and not these exact words are used, but that's, this is the message. Then I'll advocate for kids to be allowed to do it. So Becca sets off to have a garden and she's gonna find the money. So first, um, being a very precocious, and Becca is loosely based on me, being a very precocious, um, verbally advanced kid. She's like, I'm going to raise the money myself. And she gets on the phone. 
but in the typical rule of threes that happens in picture books, um, first person tells her no, second person tells her no. Um, and then she's like, I better do something different. So she tries to raise the money. She has a lemonade stand and that is also a bust. <laughs> um, so um, she has to use money that she saved up, but she does raise the money. And um, then we learn a little bit about mindfulness because Becca, as we have learned in Becca Epps learns to be in book two, tends to be a little bit um, flighty and impulsive. Again, loosely based on me. Um, <laughs> and she doesn't pay attention to a very blatant sign in the store that says, don't plant these things together. And <laughs> so she makes a mistake in the garden. One little um, nice thing about this book is that it kind of throws back to earlier books. So in Becca Epps Learns to Be, we learn about bunny breathing, where you go <sighs> to help regulate your vagus nerve, um, give you a calmer, more regulated autonomic nervous system. Um, also in book two, Tommy, who, um, whose grandmother, Bubby is working in the garden with um, and Becca have a little run in and Becca actually loses her cool and hits Tommy in book two. And at the end of book two, there's a bit of a, a cliffhanger where Tommy goes, I mean, Becca goes to apologize to Tommy, but it's left open to interpretation at the end of the book, whether Tommy will accept her apology. So here in book six, they're working together and you can see that they're friends. Um, and so it's a nice kind of tie in to book two. Um, but I left it in book two open so that kids could, you know, come up with on their own. Like, what do you think would happen? Um, so the kids and the adults end up working together, calming themselves down, again, doing some emotion regulation sorts of things. Um, which they really have also kind of been taught in book three, although you don't have to know book three, which is hugging the hard stuff, which is all about acceptance of your emotions, um, because they're taught again in book six in building the garden, um, to come together as a community to build this garden. Um, and at the end, um, Bubby basically talks about how proud she is of Becca and Becca um, acknowledges that she's really proud of herself too, because she had to push through all of these challenges. There were both external barriers. Remember I said acceptance of external barriers and internal barriers, like her getting kind of impulsive and flighty and figuring out ways to commit to push through them. Um, and do what mattered to her anyway, and build the garden. It's uh, it's terrific. I'm going to have to now rethink all my uh, my thoughts and theories here. Um, I'm also going to invite you to uh, you know I teach uh, beginners. I'm going to invite you as an author, I think, to visit my class and talk to them a bit, and tell them why I'm wrong. I also I also want to tell say two things. First of all, your first uh, your first book was on our books, yes, which I am really really proud of, um, and uh, we want to encourage more people to um, to publish stuff that they don't think is is commercial, perhaps on a website that loves all kinds of books. Um, so I want to congratulate you for that, and. Um, as we get to know each other better, which I hope we will, uh, perhaps I can persuade you to write a book with no redeeming qualities whatsoever. <laughs> it's very interesting because, you know, on the one hand, 
uh, you're writing for kids, but you're also um, writing kind of books that you're the hero of. And psychologists will say that all the books that we write were the heroes of our own stories. Mm -hmm. And it's all about tikkun. It's all about um, finding the right way to, to live your life. Right. Which is really marvelous. Thank you. So um, you're a PhD in psychology. Yes. And um, I'm going to ask you now about the Beatles. Okay. I always ask people about the Beatles. Okay. Do you like the, you like the Beatles? I know it's not your generation, but do you like the Beatles? I do. I do. You have yeah. a favorite song? Hmm. Probably Imagine. Okay. Imagine is a good song. It's a little after the Beatles. It's John Lennon. But we all love John Lennon. Oh. That's okay. Uh, and now hmm. I'm going to ask you to do something really silly, Amy. Okay. I'm going to ask you to sing a little bit of it. Okay. All right. Imagine all the people living in the world today. How much? <laughs> More. I didn't know you could sing. It's beautiful. <laughs> Um, now I'm blanking on words. Look, you're making me look like a fool. I'm going like this. In this okay, way. okay. Right? Um, imagine there's no heaven. But now I feel back it's not really a Beatles song. Let it be? No, no, listen. Um, we, we, ha we have to talk. You know, you have, you have to get out of this uh, doing the right thing. Um, I am kind of a rule follower. Yeah, if you were in my class... Okay, I would be teaching you to do the wrong thing. I don't know whether it's the right thing to teach you to do the wrong thing. But even though Imagine is not a strict Beatles song, it's still <laughs> one of the most favorite songs in the world, uh, written by John Lennon, who's a revered member of the Beatles. Yeah. Who left us prematurely. Yeah. And if you believe in God, you have to ask yourself why <laughs> he should have still been with us. And um, yeah, please sing it because you sing so beautifully. <laughs> Start at the beginning. Imagine. I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, imagine there's no heaven. Um, it's easy if you it's try. easy if you try. No hell, no. Yeah, no hell below us. Below us. Above, uh, us. above us, only sky. Why am I blanking on the word? I'm nervous now. Um, I don't know why I'm nervous. I've taken you outside your comfort zone. Which um, is we'll sing it together. Imagine all the people, the people living in this world. No. For the day you... You can say, you can, I'm a dreamer. Oh, I'm a dreamer. Sweetheart, you picked this song. <laughs> and now I can't remember. Okay, I'll, but I'm not the only one. But I'm not the only one. I hope um, someday you'll join us. Maybe someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. This is remarkable. I, I feel a real uh, connection to you as an academic who's trying to do something so silly as to write for children. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy to, like, to leave a full-time tenured professorship. Who does that, right? I did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, um, and how did you find this Shawnee Scientific Publishing? You have um, sorry, what did, how did I find them? Did the agent connect you? No, um, I, 
I submitted the first book, which is a real, um, a real abnormal, it's like 800 words. Um, and it's a rhymer, which you know you're never supposed to do in the beginning. Um, but it's th this is when we get introduced to Becca. This is Becca, who's brave and intelligent, too. She likes dancing and learning and playing kazoo. She's soft-spoken unless a good friend suffers hurt, at which point there's no telling what things she might blurt. She's rarely, she rarely gets mad, and she's never too blue, but at times she feels broken and wants a redo. Um, and so I submitted it to several places that I thought it might work. Um, the one place I did not try that I actually still think it might have gone um, is Imagination Press, which is the press of the American Psychological Association. And that was kind of next on my list. Um, but I had a friend who knew that I had sent it to, you know, multiple places. Um, and it just, you know, kept getting rejected, kept getting rejected. And I knew that it was a, it was a weird thing. I mean, I knew it was. Um, but I was also very set on this book. I see me more than one tree. And, it, and in the beginning, it was just this. I mean, this was it. Um, it was this 800 word rhymer. And it ends with, like the forest stays constant amid lots of change. I am always here, though my thoughts and feelings range. I know I am greater. And like everyone I meet, I am the forest. I am perfect. I am whole and complete. And it was going to you know, introduce this world to this character named Becca Epps and how she was greater than her thoughts and her feelings and her experiences. And so I had this friend that knew I'd sent it to, you know, like a bunch of like I'd gotten, you know, eight or nine rejections. Oh, and my friends. Nothing. I've gotten 800 or 900 here. Eight is nothing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that in the in the big scheme of things. I do know that. Um, but I had this friend who um, said, I know someone who has published a treatment manual for this company um, that uses your acceptance and commitment therapy um, protocol as part of their treatment manual. Um, they're not big, but you know, they have been around for several years. They have published several psychological things and no kids books, but I'm just wondering if he might be willing to branch out. Why don't you give him a call? So I called him and he actually was a little starstruck. You phoned um, them? Hmm? You phoned them? Yes. So you've, you've done all the wrong things. Your manuscript is too long. It rhymes. Those are two oives. Yes. And the third oive is you actually phoned them on a telephone. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, like the audacity, right? Um, and that's a, a nice way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but... I had this, I had this advantage, which I mean, huge advantage that I was the first person who had ever um, published on acceptance and commitment therapy with children. I was the first person who had ever done a randomized controlled trial of acceptance and commitment therapy with children. And this man had published a treatment manual using my treatment protocol with acceptance and commitment therapy. And he was like, oh, I don't know. Printing for picture books is a totally different thing. I mean, like, this is not what I do. And, and then he was like, I, I let me check into it. Let me talk to a couple of printing presses. 
And then like a couple of weeks later, he emailed me and he said, would you be willing to do a series? One for each book. I mean, one for each process of the acceptance and commitment therapy model. How many, how many are there? Six. Ah, so you're working now. You're like Harry Potter now. <laughs> and um, so I said, you want me to write a picture book for each of the six acceptance and commitment therapy processes? And um, he said, yeah, you willing to do that? And I was like, okay. So then that's how that happened. Remarkable. So I guess sometimes it's good to break all the rules. I guess sometimes. Um, and you know, who, well, I was just gonna say, who knows if I'll ever write anything else successful and publish by a traditional publisher. Ah, ever. Well, we, we, we have to have a, another, uh, another session on what is, what is successful. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to send you now back to my conversation, conversation with Julie Headland, who uh, persuaded me to understand that we're never here. We're always, yeah. there. we're always there. And that was a powerful lesson for me, leaving 2020 and going into 2021. Yeah. So you are in a place where most people have not even gotten to. It's okay to dream about another there. Yeah. Yeah. But lady, for me, you are there. <laughs> and for you, you should be also. So listen, this has been a terrific uh, um, way to get acquainted. And I hope we'll continue this, uh, this conversation because on the one hand, we're so alike. Yeah. On the other hand, we're so different. Yeah. And that's wonderful. So Amy, with a very long name, <laughs> Dr. Amy... Rebecca Becca, Epps Epstein, Murrell, uh, I wish you, I hope that you feel well and that 2021 is more than swell. <laughs> I don't rhyme anymore, dear. Anyway, it's been great meeting you. I've wanted to do this for years and uh, take care of yourself. Lovely meeting you. It was very nice to meet you. Put, put, all, put all your links underneath here. Okay. And share this. I will. I will. It's a document. Yes. It's almost peer-reviewed. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of yourself, dear. Thanks. You too. A lot of fun. It was nice. Thank you.